Why are some of us immune to common sense? A lot of us are hard-headed. And we won't take common sense or whatever sense you throw at us. There's a temperament in the SEAL teams that is something like, I'll just put my head down and run through a brick wall. I'll get through the other side of whatever this situation is, whatever the problem is before me. Everyone knows you should work smarter, not harder, but some people, and I'm going to point the finger mostly at guys right now, <laughs> because I think we can be stubborn sometimes, won't take on board sense, advice from others, and we're a little bit stubborn about that. I was reading a book called Your Money or Your Life, which was, I think, a bestseller in the 80s, if not earlier, and it was a big hit. The One of the co-authors, it's a, a guy sort of from the streets, I think he was uh, Puerto Rican, definitely an immigrant, and his uh, uh, female white woman co-author. I don't know why that's important, those demographic details, but it gives you some color for sort of this maybe unexpected partnership between these two. Um, unfortunately, the male co-author died of cancer a decade or two ago. The living author, the living author, Vicky Robin, the gentleman who passed away is Joseph Dominguez. And there's also another author listed, Monique Tilford. I'm not sure what role she played there, but Ms. Robin, Vicky Robin, never trust a woman with two first names. I've never heard that version of it before, but given by her reading of the book in the updated version and the audio book, um, I trust her. <laughs> She's pretty awesome. The book is great. I can highly recommend it. It's ostensibly about personal finance, but as we'll come back to throughout this episode, a lot of times when you read something, when you hear a piece of advice, it's ostensibly about a particular thing, a particular approach or process that you can apply in your life. But a lot of times the more valuable wisdom is much more fundamental. And, it, and, it, and requires unpeeling the onion. But as I was listening to Your Money or Your Life, it occurred to me that, hey, I've heard all these lessons before, and some of them I had already applied in my life, but many of them I hadn't. And I began asking myself why I, and many like me, fail to implement the, the lessons the aphorisms, the words of wisdom that you hear from a young age. We all know the sort of penny wise, pound foolish, or stitch in time saves nine, and all the other now cliches that Ben Franklin came up with, and a bunch of others, who many of whom are unnamed and unknown. These have been passed through American culture, and every culture has these things. But seldom do all of us implement these wise words, even as we teach them to our own kids. And I suppose that evil horse of hers will spring out and trample me. Huh, very well. Let it come, my lord. 
If that's the price of living in a world of fables... Do not say that, Paris. Do not seek peace elsewhere, dear brother. Until first you have pacified Athena. My little Cassandra, there can be no postponement. So come along and give me your blessing for a happy voyage. I cannot bless what I see in your future, Paris. Cassandra! Cassandra, stop this. But, Father, it's true. What I see and feel is true. Of course, this podcast isn't just for parents. This is not a parenting podcast. So all the stories and tidbits here in this episode or any Warrior Poet episode apply to parents and future parents and never parents alike. But anyone who is a parent quickly realizes that all parenting, at least this is my take, so maybe not everyone quickly realizes it, but my take is that parenting amounts to repeating yourself. That's all parenting is. Whether you're trying to correct an action, whether you're trying to instill a word of wisdom and good counsel for your progeny, or whether you're just trying to get them to do that chore that you asked them to do or pick up after themselves like they should be doing when they're a little older and can feed themselves and clothe themselves and go to the bathroom. You basically just repeat yourself nonstop. I've actually thought that a great feature for Alexa would be if she would hear a parent say something to a child and then just repeat it in polite tones. Hey, Susie, remember, your dad said you should, whatever, sweep the floor, do your laundry, pick up your, you know, clean the dishwasher. And then Alexa would consistently repeat it at timed intervals. And, and she would gradually uh, increase the frequency of the reminders and volume and tone, <laughs> eventually uh, getting into a sort of loud yell at whatever child is ignoring the council. And uh, the parent can just go outside for a run, go into the garden, go take a nap, and rely on Alexa to do most of the parenting because you've already planted the seed of what needs to happen, and the rest is just execution. So any of my friends who are still working at Amazon Alexa, please do us all a favor and get right on that. I find, though, that actually, when it comes to teenagers, that's where it gets particularly hard and important and relevant to this episode, where it's not just about asking them to do their chores or just pick up after themselves, which is surprisingly hard to do for a human being so large and who consumes so much and with so many opinions on everything. That it's not about that as a parent that worries me. It's more about whether they're really internalizing the lessons that you're trying to teach them that they can apply throughout life. Because they're just a few years away from being an adult and being out on their own, having to fend for themselves, not being under your watchful eye as a parent, and they're also intelligent enough, they've seen enough of the world, they've got the intellectual equipment in their head to be able to grok some of the more complex lessons, or maybe the ones that aren't as pretty, but that you still need to internalize to survive in the world. They should be at that age. But 
as parents of teenagers know, it's less than clear that they're actually picking all of that up. I guess we just need to trust the process here and hope, as lots of grown people say, that they really were listening, even though with eye rolls and lack of response, it appeared that they weren't. Come, Cassandra. Come and rest a while. How can I, Mother? Oh, I wish it hadn't been given me this agony I live with. An example of one of the things that I'm trying to instill in my kids lately are the kinds of concepts encapsulated perhaps best by the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Guy Kiyosaki, I believe is his last name, not Kawasaki. Guy Kiyosaki. He probably gets called Kawasaki all the time. He, he may even make a point of that in his introduction in the book. It's been a long time since I've read it. But those sorts of lessons are like not exchanging time for money as what you do your whole life. Actually building assets that pay you when you're not working. Building a business. I'm trying to instill that at a very young age and now for my teenager to make sure that they plan for that in what they do in college and what they do shortly thereafter so that they're on a good glide path to, to build assets. Those are the kinds of things, though, that to adults now, grownups, they'll say, yeah, yeah, they, of course they know that, right? But again, how many people are actually implementing that? Maybe people just don't want to listen. Maybe that's the first problem. Other people just don't want to change, actually. Then maybe people who actually sort of get on the bus of these words of wisdom, there are others who maybe they just memorize to please others. Like in school, you know, you re repeat the nursery rhyme phrases back to an adult. Others, maybe the more advanced manipulators in school and eventually in the office, maybe they reprise these aphorisms to impress others or, or one-up them. And a lot of times these things are so neatly packaged in the Ben Franklin vein or in some new McKinsey MBA terminology that it becomes very hard for someone to refute. But does the person uttering it actually believe it? Do they actually agree with it? Do they actually understand it? at a deep level. All this falls under what I like to think of as hearing versus knowing. My perfect brother seems to have forgotten his courtliness. By what name, my lady, shall we know you? My name. Her name is Death. Cassandra! Forgive my sister, she suffers from an illness. Wait! You were going to say? I am Helen, Queen of Sparta. Beyond this hearing versus knowing idea, the next level to me is knowing versus agreeing. And agreeing is my attempt at a term instead of understanding that really conveys the idea that it's an affirmative choice by the person to commit to the principle, but it doesn't take away the understanding. There's a sort of 
discovering process, I think, that's key in terms of actually taking on board words of wisdom and, and aphorisms and other principles that you want to implement in your life. There's some step there, some leap that perhaps can only be obtained through discovery and that you think about things, you mull them over. And maybe it's happened to me several times in my life where I have a situation and I've been thinking about how to solve it, or I've been journaling or meditating. Maybe I had a setback in my life. And then all of a sudden I have this aha moment for myself. That's like, Hey, you should do this thing in this way, whatever. And then I realize, Oh yeah, that's the thing that my dad was telling me my whole childhood, or that's the thing that I learned in business school. And you sort of rediscover the wisdom in something that you've quote unquote known, but actually merely heard and memorized in your brain the whole time. I just want to reiterate again, though, that it's important for all of us who want to do things and improve our lives and the lives of those we care about and the lives of people in society generally, that you assume agency, that you have control over everything. And we've talked about this in other episodes that has a lot of usefulness, even when we all know you're not in control of everything. In fact, there's lots of things you're not actually in control about. But if you take that view, you start to change the world around you. You start to solve problems. You start to improve. You start to act. Having agency means that understanding something or knowing something is not enough. Moreover, there's all sorts of principles, guidance. Everyone in the self-help world is trying to give you this guidance all the time. Most of them are trying to make money off of you. So you could have your head filled with all sorts of these things that you could know. And many of them might conflict with each other. It's important for you to actually agree with that thing that you want to implement in your life. You have control. You have agency commit to it. That was a little clip from the song Our House by Madness. Everyone knows that song. I have a love-hate relationship with that song. More hate than love until I was diving in to understand the band a little bit more and I saw the music video. And actually, like, I'm more a fan of this band and that song than I ever have been in my life. Part of my hate, <laughs> part of my haterade related to Madness and that song, Our House in the Middle of Our Street, was that I, I sort of conflated Madness with Dexy's Midnight Runners, which has the same feel. Uh, there's a, a, a pop-ish element to their music, and I, I just hate Dexy's Midnight Runners, though, to be honest. It, it's a weird thing I have. The music video, I mean, the song is from, like, the late 1970s or early 80s, and the music video is actually pretty hilarious if you discount for the time you know videos a little grainier 
the set is nothing to speak of. Uh, the costumes are uh, not that great, but I think honestly, if they could have afforded a better wardrobe and more up-to-date stuff, they were to redo it now, they probably would just opt for the same sort of stuff. Like you've got a guy dressed up as the mom who's got sort of a stubbly beard and all just sorts of nonsense like that. Um, just the whole demeanor of the guys in the video is, uh, is pretty hilarious. And there's just some interesting tidbits like the band formed the core of it as the North London invaders in 1976, which just sounds like a pretty awesome name. And uh, they've got some pretty decent nicknames here. Mike Barson is Monsieur Barso. And then you've got that's keyboard and vocals. Chris Foreman is Chrissy boy. Lee Thompson was known as kicks on saxophone and vocals. And uh, obviously they were one of the earliest ska acts but Scott came back with a vengeance later on. Uh, not that I'm a fan of that genre at all, but um, they've had a good career and they still apparently perform with most of their lineup, which is, uh, is pretty remarkable. So they must love it. There's a phenomenon in the venture world called playing house. And this is where founders get together and they go through all the machinations of starting a business and running a business that's trying to find product market fit, which is obviously crucial for an early startup. Is early startup redundant? Perhaps. You decide. They go through these machinations, but they don't actually solve the tough problems of the business. They're not actually working on it. This could be for a variety of reasons. It could be incompetence. But in my opinion, and I'm not a venture capitalist, but in my opinion, having been in some startups and having flirted with a bunch of startup ideas myself and even going through this podcast and other forms of expression, I think honestly, people play house because they're avoiding the tough problems consciously or subconsciously. They're running away from the hard things because it makes them uncomfortable. Hence the advice from many self-help experts many startup people to do the hardest thing, the most uncomfortable thing as the first real work thing you do in a given day. I should try and implement that more myself. Now that I think about it, there you go. Case in point of not truly internalizing a useful thing, a useful principle that I know, but haven't acted on. For more on this, you may want to check out the Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday or The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. That's Mark Andreessen's partner at Andreessen Horowitz. Both of them are really engaging and entertaining writers. And even if you throw away the words of wisdom and fail to internalize those, you'll at least find them entertaining reads, especially on Audible. And I will link to those in the show notes. There is a special case of this that I've talked about in other places besides the podcast. So apologies for those of you who are following me on all of the media. The subcase consists of substituting learning for action. A lot of people do this because they're not confident in themselves and what they know, but there's more people probably who are just running away from the hard things. So all of this falls under the next level of this problem of internalizing wisdom 
It's agreeing versus doing or operationalizing as someone might say in business or political science. How do you operationalize that thing? Well, you need to actually act. You need to put it into your life workflows in a way that you can actually benefit from it versus just no smart things in your head. That's pretty useless. It just makes you feel better about a situation that you're not actively improving. There's a cool passage on this concept in Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace that I am making my way through. It is a long book. I hated it for the first hundred pages. I, I think now maybe I love it. I'm in sort of around high 200s, maybe 300 pages in. And not too long ago, I, I read a page and it's set in an alcohol and drug rehab facility. These two characters are talking. And here as I leaf through Infinite Jest, the passage goes like this. You just have to ask for help and like turn it over the loss and pain to keep coming, show up, pray, ask for help. All those little phrases are capitalized by the author. Gately rubs his eye. Simple advice like this does seem like a lot of cliches. Day, that's the character across from Gately, Day's right about how it seems. Yes, and if Jeffrey Day keeps on steering by the way things seem to him, then he's a dead man for sure. Gately's already watched dozens come through here and leave early and go back, caps, out there, and then go to jail or die. If Day ever gets lucky and breaks down, finally, and comes to the front office at night to scream that he can't take it anymore and clutch at Gately's pant cuff and blubber and beg for help at any cost, Gately will get to tell Day the thing is that the cliché directives are a lot more deep and hard to actually do, to try and live by instead of just say. But he'll only get to say that if Day comes and asks. End quote. Of course, you don't have to ask me, dear listener, because unlike Gately, I'm giving you that for free. How can we get out of our rut and actually start to know versus hear, agree versus know, and do versus just agree. Here are some action steps. Try and discover these things for yourself. Rediscover that cliche that your mom told you for yourself for the first time. That sort of aha moment, like hearing a song again for the first time. We talked about that in the episode OK Computer, where we heard Idiotech sung by the talented artist Alexa Mello, and it gave the song a whole new meaning, even though many Radiohead fans had heard it before. Highly recommend that episode. I will link in the show notes. Like hearing that song for the first time, rediscover the truth in that sage advice has been handed down from generation to generation. And like I said earlier in the episode, perhaps the best time to do that is when there's some life event, especially a negative one, because you'll probably be in the mood to take stock then anyway. Next, write down things 
until the words alone make sense. And that's a piece of advice that is given by Ben Horowitz, I think in Hard Thing About Hard Things, that when he's trying to battle the, the monkey mind, trying to shed his emotions and make a rational decision, apparently he has succeeded by trying to write down the decision so that if he reads it back to himself, it makes sense just by that without the emotion. I'd say, hear these things again from other people, whatever it is you're trying to improve, whether it's be more mindful, whether it's personal finance, whether it's your startup ambitions or that book that you want to write. Hear the basic principles over and over again from so many people. And a lot of people recommend reading whatever, the top five books in the thing you want to learn or 50 books, whatever it is. And they emphasize a lot the idea of being an expert in that thing. And yes, that is a great way to catch up on years of experience that other people have just by reading. Can't argue with that. But I think it's less about the expertise and more about internalizing just a few basic things. And the more you hear it and the more different styles, different examples that you hear will reinforce those lessons again and again and again. Make it muscle memory in your brain to have these lessons ingrained in you so that when you need them, they will be right there in the background guiding your efforts. Next, I highly recommend focusing on meta principles versus tips and tricks. Tim Ferriss, if you listen to podcasts and you've never listened to Tim Ferriss, I feel like you owe it to yourself to just listen to him because he was, like I've said before, one of the most famous and most successful and earliest podcasters. Uh, there's a lot to learn from him as a content creator and someone who wants to whatever, do whatever you want to do in your life, lifestyle design, startups, etc. But one thing that I dislike is that he emphasizes a lot the tips and tricks. And hey, tips and tricks sell. And I'm probably guilty of focusing on some tips and tricks too. But what's more important than tips and tricks is the metal principles that help successful people that, that you know, you want to emulate, that inspire you. You want to understand their meta principles and their meta behaviors that are guiding their actions. Because I would wager that those are making them successful far more than what time they wake up or what they have for breakfast or what style of Brazilian jiu-jitsu they do. Of course, next step, you should also write down and review your principles. And this is one that I am not good at doing. For the amount of times that this host has mentioned Ray Dalio's principles on this podcast series, you would think that I would have implemented at least the basics of reviewing my principles. Now, I've written a bunch down, but my use of those has not really been systematic. And I'm going to recommend to myself and you to keep the list short so you can actually prioritize between them and remember them. And also, I think you should train yourself like a plebe, like a Naval Academy plebe. As a Naval Academy plebe, you have to memorize word for word, syllable for syllable, 
and even enunciate things in a certain way, these, these things that are important to a military officer's knowledge. So a good example would be the code of conduct, which governs in a sense how you're supposed to act if you're taken as a prisoner of war. And even before that, in terms of surrender and the, the rote memorization of that code of conduct really does help. And where every word matters and where those words are analyzed by you under the guidance of your instructors there at the Naval Academy and presumably West Point and Air Force Academy and other such institutions, it really does make a difference in how you know those things. And since you here are the user, you're crafting these principles for yourself, you can weigh every word in a way where it's super impactful to you and almost like you're teaching someone else, you learn it better in this way by really being persnickety about the wording and memorizing every one for yourself, that, that will certainly help. And what I like to do is I like to come up with little catchphrases like one for today that I, I think I'm going to implement is earning over learning. And it gets to that tempting thing we talked about earlier, which is to substitute learning for action. So come up with that little catchphrase for yourself that relates to what you were thinking at the time that's easy to remember. And that is just something you can quickly revert to as a, as a kind of counter script against all the reptilian scripts that we have in, in our brains that steer us the wrong way. Next, stop overanalyzing. Stop overanalyzing. Get out of analysis paralysis with your words of wisdom and things you're trying to implement. That's what Mr. Day was doing in that passage from Infinite Jest. He was comparing different Alcoholics Anonymous sayings and cliches and weighing them against each other and testing them for internal coherence, like one analyzing a religion would do or a legal system. But the fact is that you're going to get much less use out of such principles, words of wisdom, if you are trying to come up with some sort of unified theory. Just be satisfied with a lack of complete coherence. Emphasize independent truth over collective interdependent truth. And just set aside the temptation to try and balance and optimize between things. Settle for independent truth and usefulness. And that'll, that'll get you far. And then finally, get your mind right. Be honest with yourself. That's going to be more important than any tips and tricks. If you have some issues that you've been struggling with that you're running away from, no amount of tips and tricks or even deeper words of wisdom are going to get you anywhere. The goddess of beauty, Aphrodite, come down to earth in mortal form. She will bring the disaster I have prophesied. Her name will be written in letters of fire. Helen. Helen of Troy. This is that time of the program where we're going to get all the way wet. And if you don't like getting all the way wet, you're going to be particularly cold and tired and frustrated 
because we've got a lot to get through here in this footnotes portion of The Warrior Poet. Footnote number one, in the recent episode, episode 33, Different Strokes, where we talked about the fetish of diversity sometimes, the religion of diversity when it comes to teams, where I argue perhaps a slightly more balanced approach is merited. We didn't talk about the show Different Strokes, and I owed you that. I was remiss, and I apologize deeply, but we'll make up for it here. Different Strokes was the show, I believe, of a blended family with uh, Gary Coleman as the main and hilarious star. It was apparently inspired by the Different Strokes for Different Folks quote, which I think everyone can probably put, put two and two together there without Shri telling you that. But I didn't, what I didn't realize is that that quote was actually supposedly coined by Muhammad Ali. And I got to tell you, if this humble host could attain the sort of sayings being quoted status of like a Muhammad Ali or a Yogi Berra, I mean, that would just be amazing. Of course, maybe <laughs> the requirement is that you become super successful at a major professional sport, which... By the looks of it, I'm not about to do anytime soon. I remember watching the show as a kid. I don't know if a lot of the themes would hold up today. I, I think it was pretty progressive for its time in terms of African-American kids integrating into a white family. But the world has changed so much, and especially over the last six months to a year where it's unclear whether it would, it would stand up to societal scrutiny necessarily. And clearly, I think at least by, by the looks of it and by my memory, it was made by white people. And so I'm sure a lot of concerns of the African-American community, perhaps even people who participated in the show, a lot of those concerns were probably marginalized in order to pander and appeal to a white audience. I wonder what that show would look like if there was more of a creative license to have authenticity by the actors on that show, maybe even with a potential reboot today. I also wonder the same thing about a show that comes to mind called A Different World. That was the spinoff from The Cosby Show. I remember A Different World actually being pretty hilarious, and Lisa Bonet was a favorite of a lot of people from... The Cosby Show, of course, with both The Cosby Show and A Different World, you have the unfortunate tainting of it all by the uh, Cosby sexual predation. But I'd say if you can stream it somewhere, A Different World probably is worth a look. By the way, let's talk about Lisa Bonet for a second. She's 52 now, which I don't think she looks 52 She's also married to Jason Momoa, if I'm pronouncing his name right. Obviously, he's super famous, so tons of you will know how to pronounce his name. <laughs> so you can let me know if I pronounce it wrong. That dude is 40. First of all, he's having a great last few years. But that dude is 40, so pretty big age difference and more of the atypical direction in terms of age difference. So more power to Lisa Bonet. <laughs> I also found out that apparently... 
Jason Momoa had a TV crush on Lisa Bonet when he was a kid. So she's an, you know, adult on the show. He's a kid, 12 years, her junior. And apparently he said to his mom something like, I want that or I'm going to get that or something a little bit creepy and you might argue misogynistic. And lo and behold, a friend introduces him to Lisa Bonet at some sort of dinner they were at. And uh, he didn't <laughs> tell her that she was his crush until much later in their relationship. I think potentially even after they had already been engaged or, or married. I will also say that Lisa Bonet is, at least in the romantic department, way ahead of everybody because she dated or maybe was in a deeper relationship with Lenny Kravitz. And that started before Lenny Kravitz's big hit, Are You Gonna Go My Way, I think was the title. And she also started dating Jason Momoa before a lot of his success. So she's got some sort of superpower in terms of, you know, seeing something in guys who are destined to succeed. Last point on Lisa Bonet. She's also involved in a number of different projects. I'll call them interesting or, or independent projects. She had a cameo. It's a little longer than a cameo in the movie High Fidelity with John Cusack, which just one of my favorite 90s movies. I mean, if you... John Cusack plays John Cusack. If you don't like John Cusack, you're not going to like that movie. But uh, it's pretty great. And she's got a part where she sings a cover of Baby, I Love Your Way, and all the guys in the room fall in love with her just through her singing that. And it is an amazing and lovely cover. She also did a song with Deepak Chopra by the clip I play right now. You can maybe guess how I feel about that. Rob. I always hated that song. Yeah. Now I kind of like it. Yeah. She should have done book number four with a smile. Footnote number two on that same page as the passage I read you from Infinite Jest, there's a mention of Bunko artists on the street of Boston, which is where the novel Infinite Jest takes place. Boston and Cambridge and some surrounding environs, I guess. Bunko artists, uh, I guess everyone knew what those were. In the past, I, I actually had barely ever heard the term until I listened to an episode of The Omnibus with Ken Jennings, and I always struggle to remember his co-host name, who is, I think, famous in his own right, maybe not as much as Ken Jennings, uh, John Roderick. They're both great, and this is just a recommendation that if you love just digging into some facts of history in entertaining ways, I highly recommend The Omnibus. Check out the show notes.
Footnote number three. In the last act of the main body of this week's episode today, I talked about a bunch of action steps that you can follow to try and not be too cool for school when it comes to wisdom. I can't recommend enough just ignoring those as well and just coming up with your own action steps. Let's be honest. You don't need tips and tricks for anything. You've got your own mind. You can think for yourself. I try and present interesting problems to you and try and devise clever ways for us collectively to solve them and evolve as leaders and individuals. But it didn't take me that long to come up with those action steps. So as I've criticized consultants and other MBA students in the past, many of whom I know and love, a lot of people just want the framework, right? They just want the checklist they can follow to implement. That's great. But like I said earlier, the meta principles are more important and having a critical mind that can come up with your own steps to follow your own guidelines, uh, that is much more important. And you all are the smartest listeners in the podcast sphere. So have at it. And finally, there's a band called Bars of Gold. They are a post-rock band. And genres of trip-hop and post-rock and all sorts of stuff like that get hard to follow for many people who aren't music junkies. But basically, post-rock means they are just more experimental than the mainstream rock that everyone knows and a lot of people love. Bars of Gold was founded by members of another band that apparently achieved some notoriety, although I never heard of them before, called Bear vs. Shark. You could hear the same lead vocalist in both bands if you check them out. There's an uncanny resemblance of the lead vocalist's voice to Animal from the Muppets, I think is what came to mind. Or maybe it's Barney the Barfly from The Simpsons, if he were sober and also into post-rock. Um, it's a very unique voice, and you probably love it or you hate it. I kind of love it. Uh, hey, I thought uh, some of you might like to know a little bit more about uh, our drummer, whom we affectionately refer to as Animal. Animal! <laughs> That's his name, actually. Uh, Animal, I, uh, why don't you tell our audience, how long have you been playing the drums? Uh, ah. Uh... One, two. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's a song by Bars of Gold called Blue Lightning, and it's a little softer than a lot of their stuff, which is on the harder side. In the song Blue Lightning, the lead vocalist sounds a little bit like Phil Collins, of course, of Genesis and solo fame, which is just uh, quite, quite weird. <laughs> That vocalist's name is Mark Paffy. The band is out of Ferndale, Michigan. And their Bandcamp page describes them as four guitar players, one Nick Jones, one drummer, one singer. That's four guitars. It's a couple great tidbits on the music site Kerrang. I'll link that in the show notes. K-E-R-R-A-N-G exclamation point is the site. There's a question in an interview with the band, who would be on Bars of Gold's dream tour? They write, 
1991 version of the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Fela Kuti, Fugazi in the Red Medicine era, and 1960s Neil Diamond. Also, Prince After Purple Rain and Leonard Cohen, more the Leonard Cohen as a poet. Early 2000s Tom, wait, Tom Waits with the early noisy Deerhoof. I'm not familiar with Deerhoof. Also, Charles Bukowski, Steve Zerman, and A Tribe Called Quest. It's a pretty great and eclectic group. I also love their answer to a question about their album, which is called Shelters. And the cover is kind of almost watercolor-esque. It's an open beach. And the interviewer asks about the difference, the dichotomy, the, the dissonance between Shelters as a name and an outside view. The responses, and it's unclear if they wrote responses to this or if this was actually live, but the way the writing is, it goes, first of all, fantastic analysis on your part. <laughs> the painting is of Lake Michigan, dot, dot, dot. It's a really calming and comfortable scene. So in a way, it's really a shelter, or at least to us. Bars of Gold has a song, which was my introduction to the band. It came up in Spotify. God, I love Spotify's recommendations. It is much better than Pandora, the sort of original music discovery app. Um, their AI, the recommendations have just gotten so great. I routinely find songs in my, what is it? Uh, New For You, Discover Weekly, something like that. That playlist in Spotify, routinely discover awesome gems. And there's a song by Bars of Gold called Worthless Chorus. The lyrics of the song do mention gold a lot. <laughs> High schoolers and gold. Uh, I don't know if the band has some obsession with gold. It's sort of the gold finger of post-rock bands. Uh, I'm not sure, but uh, the song is pretty awesome. Just seems like there is a sort of worthless chorus out there in self-help, in business knowledge, in every area of knowledge, in a sense. It's worthless not because the advice is worthless. It's worthless because a lot of us just don't hear it. Reminds me of Cassandra, the mythological feature. I think she was one of Priam's daughters in the story of, of the sack of Troy in the Iliad. Those many of the fills that you heard today were from depictions of Cassandra on film. Many of you Probably already familiar with the Cassandra story, but the idea is that I think Apollo was interested in her and gave her the gift of prophecy. When she didn't return Apollo's love, he cursed her to have no one listen to her prophecy. So she could always see the future, but her warnings, especially around the Trojan horse, were ignored. And so she was in that way, cursed with knowing, but not being able to do anything about it, and having everyone think she was completely mad. Interestingly, Cassandra does not appear in the movie Troy from 2004, which was an ensemble movie that is pretty awesome if you're interested in sort of historical, fictional movies, mythological movies. It's got, you know, not much sci-fi even though the gods apparently played a big role in the Iliad there's not a lot of that in there some people criticize the movie as a result but it's super entertaining it's got Orlando Bloom Eric Bana Brad Pitt um Orlando Bloom 
does a phenomenal job playing a coward. I particularly love Eric Bana in anything, and, and he and Brad Pitt, of course, do a great job. One thing that the director and uh, writer, that's Wolfgang Peterson and uh, David Benioff, I think was the, the writer, um, did is that they made the movie story take place over just a few weeks, whereas the Iliad actually took place over the course of a decade. Wolfgang Peterson is an interesting guy. He's a German director. He actually made Outbreak, which I didn't realize when we did episode number three, I believe it was, Outbreak. So recommend you check out that if you're interested at all in Wolfgang Peterson. Rose Byrne plays Briseis, the uh, slave that is eventually given to Achilles, I think by Agamemnon, or maybe it's the other way around. I can't remember exactly. And I didn't realize it was Rose Byrne at the time, actually. I think they give her curly hair or something like that. Um, She's also a lot younger than in her more recent movies. And probably was much less known at the time, perhaps. I don't know. I'm giving myself a pass on not recognizing her there. But she does a great job. There's a phenomenal quote in the movie, Interchange, between Briseis and Achilles. Interchange? Exchange? Well, we'll go with either one. She says, what do you want here in Troy? You didn't come for the Spartan queen. Achilles, played by Bad Pitt, says, I want what all men want. I just want it more. I feel like any of us could put that on a wall, men or women, and it could be pretty inspiring. I also love Brian Cox in this movie. I think he plays Agamemnon. He, I like him best in the Bourne movies, playing the bad CIA guy. In the Bourne movies, he's just phenomenal. And then you've got Peter O'Toole, who plays a, a good sort of King Lear-ish Priam, who was the king of Troy at the time. Also, a couple other people in this ensemble cast mentioning, Saffron Burroughs is a really attractive and great actress. Uh, I didn't realize it, but she's actually in Mozart in the Jungle, which I did watch. I just didn't put... You know, 2004 movie watching together with Mozart in the Jungle. It's an Amazon series about a city orchestra, perhaps in New York, I think. And uh, it's actually really, really, really good. Uh, 20 minutes an episode, super funny, entertaining, uh, highly recommend it. And then finally, you've also got Sean Bean. That's Ned Stark, the guy who plays him. Sean Bean started out as a welder and then became an IRA terrorist, not for real, but acting as one. And he played a lot of those sort of bad guys with accents in uh, various sort of spy and action movies. Um, And then, of course, became Ned Stark. That's pretty interesting. Um, Last couple notes. Brad Pitt apparently was disappointed with Troy later on. He had a little bit of criticism that sort of they gave away that he was the hero of the movie in every shot that he was sort of in the center of the screen all the time. And uh, I thought it was pretty cool that that's not what he wants. uh, Actually, he wanted it to be more um, artistic in a sense and less about him on being on screen and more of the evolution of the story. So I, I thought that was pretty cool. A lot of people. And if you watch it now, the score is particularly noteworthy 
James Horner did the score, but he did it in like a few weeks as an emergency after the original guy, um, unfortunately for that guy, had worked on it for a year. And then there were some negative reviews when they listened to, to an early uh, bit of it or maybe put it in front of an audience uh, in a focus group. And people responded negatively. So that guy's year of work was thrown out and he didn't even have a chance to defend himself uh, or his work apparently or, or give it another shot. Um, they just brought in James Horner and he did it in a few weeks. So we would all have a little bit more James Horner in our lives. Um, probably too much Celtic music. That's, that's what he's known for a lot. Thank God it's not in Troy for some weird reason. Uh, but unfortunately he died in a uh, plane accident. He was an avid pilot and uh, ended up crashing a few years ago, I think. Cassandra, if you look in some art, is shown pulling her hair out because she's so frustrated that people aren't listening to her. Maybe the goal here is to graduate to someone who is a bit enlightened. That you go from someone in the matrix to someone who actually knows things, agrees with things, and does things, implements them. But then you probably want to become one of those people then who's enlightened and tells other people how you did it. But then you're going to turn into that Cassandra, pulling your hair out. Self-help guys, self-help gals tend to talk about self-help. I used to think it was because they were just training their spotlight. We had an episode on what I called the spotlight effect. They're just training their spotlight on this world. And I thought that that's why they were doing it because it's an easy way to make money as they improved their own lives. But in actuality, I think I should assume positive intent. I should give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe what it is, is they've just been enlightened. They've had those aha moments. They've gone through the struggle of self-improvement and they want to teach others almost as if they're an apostle, but kind of an apostle of themselves because they did the hard work. They came to those conclusions. They did those things. So maybe in the end, through this graduation effect, some of us are just tearing their hair out. While others of us are just doomed to not listen. Warrior Poet is a property of Rainiac Productions. If you like The Warrior Poet, there's more great content on Instagram. Follow Shri, The Warrior Poet, on Instagram. That's S-R-I, The Warrior Poet. You can also get to know me on a personal level by following Shri, actually, on Instagram as well. The Warrior Poet is produced by Laddie, with special contributions by Spoonman and me, Shri. No, 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 Kevin. Mina Dua. Spita.